This morning we have the, the pleasure of hearing the word from Jeff Crooks, the man of God. He's going to come and open the word with us. Can we all stand and welcome Jeff as he comes? You're very kind, and I love you all. I tell you, I am so grateful to be among a body of people that are committed to the Lord and to his word and seeing all that to come together in real life, real life happening in Florida or with the help ministries, et cetera, or Africa, everywhere. It's just the Lord and his presence and his faithfulness expressed through his people. I also want to commend Stephen for the series that he's brought us through recently on uh, setting our spiritual house in order. Stephen, you've pointed us to Christ, and we're grateful for it. We're better for it, and it's amazing to me how that has set me up for success. That and uh, Dr. Adelini last week talking about the spiritual warfare. It's like I'm coming right in, as if it was planned, uh, right on the heels of those things that are happening, or have happened over the last weeks. I'm reminded... <clears throat> of this thing in, uh, in racing, like IndyCar racing, et cetera, or that they call drafting, where a driver gets up super close behind a lead car that's cutting through the wind, and then they just get to take advantage of all of that power that the lead car is exercising, and they just get the advantage of all of it. I feel like that's me this morning. I'm drafting behind you, Stephen. But what I really want us to do is that if we could all consider ourselves as drafting behind the Lord Jesus Christ, coming up close behind him as he is doing things in the world, as he is moving forward, as he is demonstrating his power, and then we're just there alongside or right behind him, just with him as he is doing the things that only God can do. That would be my hope for us. That's kind of the motivation and the things that I'm going to be speaking about. You know, it's interesting, deists, if you know that word, will say that God created the world, and then he kind of looked at it and said, huh. And then he went off and did things that God's interested in doing. And most people in our culture, I would say today, are functionally deists. God's not really involved in their world, uh, and yet at the same time, they're not totally comfortable in completely writing him off. There's somewhere in this middle ground. I would say that's fairly culturally accurate, at least for us here in the United States. But as Christians, we believe that God has always been active in human history. From the moment that he kissed Adam to breathe the life into him, through the fall, through the cross, all the way up to our present day and beyond, God has been involved with his creation. In fact, he immersed himself in his creation. I'm thinking of the incarnation when Jesus, God himself, became a human being. He was immersed in this creation. Not only in that, but then fully expressed in what Jesus said. He said, I have a baptism to undergo. Well, you talk about immersion. My goodness, he's talking about his death on the cross. So this expression that he is to be baptized is an expression of utter and complete commitment with no turning back, no alternatives whatsoever. So 
this whole salvation thing, our, our being drawn into Christ, this is not an accidental thing. It's not a coincidental thing. It's not a chance thing. The watchmaker didn't get called back on some warranty dispute. It's not from human initiation. But we're admonished that the Lord did this according to, it says he was delivered up according to the determined plan and foreknowledge of God. This isn't God undertaking. It's something that the Lord did. And we're grateful to be with him as he did it by his grace, by his sovereign choice. In Ephesians 4, Paul's talking about the church, and he quotes Psalm 68, verses 18 and a little bit following, where it says, You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train. And so in this powerful move, Jesus ascends to the right hand of the Father, and it's like he's pulling us along as he goes. We're drafting the Lord Jesus, and we didn't even know it. We had nothing to do with it. We're led along in his train. Two verses later in that same song, it's psalm, it says, God, our God, is a God of salvation, and to the Lord belong deliverances from death. Well, you can't get any clearer from that, than that. There's no one else that can deliver us from death except the Lord alone. And so I just want to emphasize that this whole salvation thing was a work that was undertaken by Christ, and we got caught up in his train. We were drafting the Lord, and we didn't even know it. So great is his strength, his power as our lead. And this is what so often happens with the Lord, that the Lord begins to move, and then we're pulled along and drawn along into what he's doing. In the New Testament, the writer is talking about all the prophets of old, and it says that they never spoke by the will of man, but they spoke from God as they were drawn along or carried along or pulled along by the Spirit. We see this through all of Scripture. We need to be the same. Let's be drawn along in what the Lord's doing. Let's draft the Lord Jesus. Let's draw close to him. <clears throat> I want to encourage us in our relationship with the Lord to be drawn along with him and what he's doing in the earth. He's the, he's the strong one. He's the one that's doing the work. It's not on us. It's the Lord. But I also want to let us know that there are some implications for us in this. And, uh, you know, Stephen gets to have volunteers come up, and he gets to pick them. Well, today that's on me. <laughs> so, Stephen, you're it. <laughs> yeah, if you could come up. <laughs> it's all right. If, if Mike can try to steal my notes, yeah, then you can get through this. It's fine. Okay. He did that this morning, by the way. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> remains to be seen. Yes. Okay, if you can just face that direction. And now, with, you're going to need to use your imagination here, but I'm going to uh, suggest to us that Stephen and I are race cars, okay? Stephen, at least, Stephen is like the Maserati kind that you can go buy from uh, Mr. McFarland, all right? 
you see his sleek physique there. So that's Steven. He's a race car. There's a friend of mine that once said, well, I'm built for comfort, not for speed. That'd be more my take on, on what kind of car that would be. But OK, so here we've got Steven, the race car, in the lead. Now, if I'm all the way over here, what do you think's going on with me with respect to drafting or you know, stuff that's going on with that lead car? Not much, right? I might not even recognize that he's out doing something. I'm kind of in my own world. Now, if I come over here and get a little bit closer, what happens? Well, is this drafting? Uh, not exactly, no. I'm probably a little bit more aware. I'm learning that, uh, hey, something's going on with this dude. Uh, this is kind of interesting, but I'm still not in the situation. Now, what happens when I come along to about here? Am I drafting? No, I'm not. And I'll, I'll, I'll demonstrate that here in a moment. But with the wind, with Steve at his incredible speed, with him going forward, the wind is coming around him and it's sucking in right behind him, like right here. So if I'm right here, what am I experiencing? Turbulence. The wind is all mixed up. I'm starting to, this, something's going on. This is, and it starts to get a little bit scary. Hear me. There's an application to this. You start to get look close, and all of a sudden, all this weird stuff's happening. There's a lot of turbulence. Things are mixed up. Well, if you can press through that turbulence until it's uncomfortable. I mean, are you OK with this? Okay. Too? <laughs> Pretty good. Maserati. <laughs> <laughs> You've got to be that close to be drawn in. You've got to get so close to the Lord that the drafting, it comes behind him, but then it pulls you in. It actually sucks you in to his presence. Thank you, Stephen. We need to be drafting the Lord. You know, um, and it's not just race cars that do this. Did you know that geese, this is kind of what they're doing when they're flying in formation? A single goose doesn't make it so far, but they can extend their range by 70% by flying in formation. If we can draw near to the Lord, I believe that, that we will be able to go further more effectively than we can ever do if we're trying to make it through on our own. If we're clueless, certainly, or if we're aware, but that's all them, or even if we're over in the turbulence, what are we going to let the turbulence do? Drive us away, I'm scared, let me get out of here, or are we going to let that be a signal? Hey, I need to wake up. Something's going on. There's something happening in the spirit. I'm sensing turbulence. What is this? And listen to the Lord. And let the Lord disciple you. Let the Lord draw you into his presence. Because the Lord is on the move. He's doing something. And where are we? <clears throat> Flying in formation or drafting. I mean, if you see anybody doing this on the highway, get out of there because that is a wreck about to happen. It is dangerous, right? But it's a real thing. Scientifically, it's a real thing. Flying information like that takes discipline. You learn to understand and read the turbulence, and you start to discern and know 
when you're in and when you're not. When you're fighting on your own versus you've, you've felt the current of the Lord. And all of a sudden there's this eerie, calm peace. It's signature of God's working with his people, and I'm hoping to demonstrate that to you today. But flying in formation takes discipline. And don't check out on me when I say that. I'm not talking about some legalistic regimen like the seven habits of highly annoying people. I'm glad some of you caught that. That's not actually the name of the book. Or, and I'm also not talking about a punitive or corrective discipline. I'm talking more about the discipline of a great coach, someone that's leading you forward into something, someone that's trying to draw something out of you for you to express in life. That kind of discipline, a maturity that the Lord is bringing us in receiving and applying what God has said in his word, a sensitivity to his spirit, So that then what he's trying to accomplish in a situation becomes what's on our heart and what we're attuned to. All I'm talking about is simply a maturity in living out our Christian faith. That's what I want to talk about. So this week and next, I want to do that by looking at God's calling and how he teaches people discipline. This week we're going to look at a man that had a temperament much like our own, Moses. It might surprise you to hear that. We're going to look at Moses. And then next week, we'll look at a whole people, Israel. So if you could turn with me to Exodus chapter 2. And while you're turning there, we'll be in Exodus throughout uh, this morning. And as you're turning, I'll just pray for our time in the Word. Father God, we're so grateful that you have done the great work. That you, by your power, have drawn us in. Lord, you have undertaken things that were flat impossible, and yet you've done it. So to you be all the glory. Lord, I pray that ears would be open to hear what the Spirit is saying, God. And Lord, that you would anoint my lips to speak your word and hold faithful to that alone. In Jesus' name. So Exodus chapter 2, I'll start in verse 23. During those many days, the king of Israel died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their help for rescue came from, from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered the covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel... And God knew. And then in chapter 3, starting in verse 7, the Lord said, Surely I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good broad land flowing with milk and honey. Thank you, God, for your word. If you personally are at a place where you're in a place of powerlessness, you're held captive, you're overworked, you're in despair, I want you to know personally that God sees, 
you, and he knows. It's not a surprise. If you've come to a place where you're feeling trapped in your life circumstances, where the promises that you read in the word are not lining up with your current reality, things are disconnected. The facts on the ground don't line up with what you're seeing in scripture. It's very possible that God is doing something right now in your life that if you would be able to see it from the future, you would be stunned at what the Lord's doing. I don't know how to unpack that all for you. I'm coming to recognize those times as times when the, when the Lord is on the move. Was this situation God's best for Israel? Was it his ideal at that moment? Uh, no. I think that's pretty clear. No, it wasn't. But there they were. God had made a promise to Abraham some 400 years before, and this people were part of that promise. And it says God remembered his promise. Now, that doesn't mean that God forgot his promise. Oh, the people just woke me up. I guess I need There was nothing like that. It means that every prayer that those people prayed, he heard in the context of what he had already promised. If you are a child of promise, if you are a child of faith, God knows your situation. If you're an inheritor of the covenants, God's perceptions are toward you. His ear is always inclined because everything that you pray, he hears in the context of all of the promises that he has already made. And he's faithful. Well, yes, Jeff, but why does my situation look this way? <clears throat> well, let's keep reading. Exodus chapter 3, verse 10. I'm trying to find verse 10. There we go. <clears throat> 10 through 14. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you, and this shall be a sign for you that I have sent you when you have brought these people out of Egypt, that you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, Well, what's his name? What, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Tell the people of Israel this, I am has sent me to you. If you're at a place in your faith where you know there's turbulence, something's going to change, there's something going on in the spirit, or maybe you just know in your spirit that things cannot continue as they currently are. They cannot. Either God changes this or I die. That's a real place to be. I've already said God hears you. He sees. He knows. He will be faithful to his covenant word. If it's that time, understand that turbulence as a time where you need to press in to the Lord. Set aside your inhibitions <clears throat> and learn 
from the Lord. It's a time to be sensitive. Maybe he's not only changing your circumstances, but he's also using you in the circumstances. Just like here with Moses. Moses' first question was, who am I? But the better question, and the one that God actually answered, is who are you? And that was the question that God chose to answer. But note how he answers it. You know, there is no way to answer that question. Who are you, Lord? There's no way that that question ever gets an answer that will satisfy your intellect. And I can, this is me and my imagination and how I read scripture, but I can just imagine God, you know, Moses saying, who do I tell them sent me? And God says, I am who I am. What else answer could there be? And in the Hebrew, it, that, that answer captures all time because there's no tenses in Hebrew. It is, I am eternal past. I am now. I am eternal future. I am. That was his answer. I'm so grateful, thankful for the, God, the time that God took with Moses to make that clear, to help him understand. Evidently, we don't get very far in the things of God without getting some fundamentals straight. Can you hear me? Right? The Lord needs us to understand who he is and what's going on. And that's why he says, Moses, this is going to be a sign to you, but those people need to hear this too. This is not just for you. The people, we need to come back here to this same mountain. They need this too. The same revelation, the same context, the same understanding. <clears throat> well, if, if God's the one doing all of this, then why all the prep work? <laughs> you know, our, our proclivities to just want it off easy and so forth, I don't know, just trying to keep it real. Well, <clears throat> let's keep reading. Exodus chapter 3, and we'll start in verse 18 through 20. They will listen to your voice, the Israelites will, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know, this is the Lord speaking, that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. Have you ever noticed how it's always like a three-day journey to get to the place where God manifests himself? I mean, it's all over Scripture. <clears throat> Abraham also traveled three days with Isaac before that sacrifice and deliverance. Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. Lazarus was in the grave for day, three days. Jesus was raised on the third day. It's going to be a three-day journey after you're delivered, Israel, before you to get to the mountain. Fascinating. We'll come back to that point later. God is not under any pressure to make something happen, especially on our timeline. He has a, a, a bigger perspective. My ways are not your ways, says the Lord. There's something about the journey. 
Can you imagine Abraham? Three days journey, knowing what he thought was in his head was going to happen, how things were going to play. I can't imagine that. There's something about the journey itself that God uses the work, the character, and the love of God into our hearts. That's what he's doing. So having worked through the desperation of our situation and our need for deliverance, having wrestled with God and waited on God and letting God impress his character upon us, then comes the time when we begin to realize that God has chosen to involve us in something that's bigger than ourselves. This is more than about our comfort, more than just getting out of Egypt, more than just being free from slavery, more than just deliverance. If God is God, and he is, and you are called by him for purpose, and you are, then understand that this deliverance is going to be for your benefit, yes, but also for his glory. It'll be for the furtherances of his purposes in this earth. What may seem like a small thing, as if being set free from slavery is a small thing, but look at what God did. A small thing before God, God turns into a big thing. He blows it up. So opposition, challenge, difficulty, blessing, and favor all get wrapped up into this one thing. I tell you, that's the signature characteristic of God working with people. Isn't it? Pharaoh ain't going to let you go. It ain't going to be easy, you know, Moses. If this man, if this was, you know, you're going to be set free by some arm wrestling, you would need a seriously big arm. Know anybody like that, Moses? <laughs> God ups the ante, right? He starts pushing all the buttons, and he knows where all the buttons are. He cranks the pressure to high. I'll call this the pressure cooker. Life in the pressure cooker. Or the crucible moment. I like that phrase. Look at the closeness of this relationship, though, that God's developing between himself and Moses that he would actually bother to tell him all these things. To disclose to one that he is going to partner with through this. The closeness of that relationship that God is working with a human being. Well, why is this so hard? Why does it take so long? <clears throat> Let's keep reading. You know, God has impressed on me through my life circumstances over the last maybe three years particularly. You've heard some of the testimony, job change and all of that. It has been at times harrowing, but God has used that to show me some of these things. Uh, I've given testimony about those things, uh, and uh, this year it seems Chrysanthi has faced some of her own challenging situations, and yet as I looked at those, it's like, this kind of looks like turbulence. I've been through some turbulence. There seems to be, I, I tell you, God is showing me there's a pattern here about how he tends to go about doing things. 
I've learned it, if you will, in the forge of life, sometimes the anvil of life. I've been around the track enough times that I, even I'm starting to see the pattern. So, you know, I'll ask you, what's going on in your life? Maybe it's time to check the pattern. Have you ever been at a wedding where, or, or some other, you know, big events, everybody, everybody's dressed up and there's dancing, and you see like a father dancing with a child, and the child's like on their feet, and they're showing them all the moves? That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. A couple years ago, God whispered something in my spirit about dancing with him. Now, some of you are smiling. I was totally freaked out. I am not a good dancer. Dancing? What? And God dancing? What happens when God dances? Look what happened to Israel in the, in the wilderness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. I bet... I'm at my limit, God. What are you talking about dancing? <laughs> Maybe these things, these crucible moments, the pressure cooker moments, maybe that's God teaching me, this is how I dance. This is what I do. You got to follow my moves. Work with me. Maybe we need to stand on the Lord's feet and let him lead us. Maybe we need to follow along with him as he does everything that's in his heart to do, and there we will be with him. Maybe we need to draw near, begin drafting, and, and dare to see things from his perspective and let him whisper his intentions and thoughts in our heart and ride along with him as he's moving. Let's be his people. He says, you will be my treasured possession. His heart is truly toward us. Exodus chapter 4 and verse 1. Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me because, or listen to my voice, for they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. And then the Lord takes him through a series of things demonstrating his miraculous power. Let's take it up in verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and tongue. And the Lord said, Who said that? I'm paraphrasing. Seems like you're doing a pretty good job of talking back to me. You've got a good mouth. Who made that thing anyway? That's verse 11. That's the Jeff Crooks paraphrase. Verse 12. Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And we will stop there. At some point in our trials, we will come to a realization that the one thing that God is not going to deliver us from is our commission. 
He says, I will make you a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. He's going to put us right at the heart of the things that he is doing and intending in the earth. That's what a nation of priests would be, is it not? They won't believe me. Well, that was followed immediately by the Lord walking Moses through a series of lessons in miracle transformation. So evidently, what Moses saw as impossible, God saw as an opportunity for a discipleship moment. Moses' confession, you know, he, didn't, he didn't feel up to the task. Can you relate? Hello? <laughs> right? I can relate to that. And his confession of his inadequacy came out as, Lord, send someone else. Moses was saying, I can't do this. But God said, you can do this. You stick with me. Listen, Moses, to achieve what I want to achieve in this earth, I need a living, breathing, walking, talking manifestation of God in this earth. And that's you. That's what I intended in Adam when I stamped my image upon him. That's what I promised to Abraham through his descendants. And that's what I'm telling you now. And one day there will be a people that will rise up and capture that truth that I'm expressing to you, Moses, as a living truth. And they will be the ones that will fill the whole earth with my glory. Now, I'm getting a little bit ahead in the story. Fill the earth with my glory. Moses said, sins with someone else, and the Lord's anger was kindled. The New Testament says, don't grieve the Spirit. Moses had grieved the Spirit, and he knew it, and he was humble enough to write us about it. Thank you, Moses. It helps me. And this statement about the Lord filling the whole earth with his glory was made in Numbers chapter 4, verse 21, where all of Israel was pushing back on God. All of Israel was grieving the Spirit, and that's where that pronouncement was made, that a whole generation would die off in the wilderness, but God's purposes would move on. You see, that was a critical moment for Israel as a nation. A critical moment. Moses had already, they'd seen miracles. Well, Moses, at this time, he had seen miracles, right? It had already happened. It had been before his eyes. He had actually done a few himself. And his confession at that time was, Lord, send someone else. This was a critical moment for Israel. It was a critical moment for Moses. And Moses came through. I tell you, there is something that happens in the soul of a person between, Lord, I can't do this, send someone else, and let my people go. Something happens on the inside of a person. Call it the anointing. Call it faith. Moses went through a transformation, an equipping, by the Lord's hand upon him. Thank you, God, for taking the time with Moses. Thank you, Moses, for recording these things for our edification today. Nothing happens without the anointing. The anointing, it says, breaks the yoke. Nothing happens without faith. Faith is the currency of the kingdom of God. 
It's God's love language. And we're caught up into that. Everything it says in Romans 14, 23, everything that is not done in faith is sin. This is God's language. It's how he communicates with people through faith. And there's no person that can grant you that. I can't do it for you. The elders can't do it for you. Moses couldn't do it for Israel. They're going to need to come back to this mountain. They need this stuff too. The journey is between you and the Lord, and it's unique as a relationship between you as a one-of-a-kind image bearer and the God who created you for purpose. I don't know how that's going to look in every person's life. I don't. But I know there's some patterns here that will edify us and encourage us. Paul says it this way. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And you say, I know that one. I'm a good Bible student. I can't work out my salvation. Well, it doesn't say accomplish your salvation or add to your salvation or somehow augment your salvation or do it yourself. It says work it out. Take what God has worked out. You take and work out what God has worked in. He's already done the hard work. You work that out. Take the deposit that you've been given and invest it and make it grow. Wait and pray in Jerusalem until the power from on high comes upon you. Jacob had an experience like this in the Old Testament. Before the coming of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures say that he wrestled with God and told God, can you imagine this? He told God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Now that struggle was real and he walked away changed even to the point of a dislocated hip. Work out your salvation. And so here we are at this moment in what we're reading in the scripture, a crucible moment. Can you sense that tension, the turbulence? Do you see how God's upping the ante? He's cranking the screws on this thing. Do you feel the pressure intensifying? I hope I'm able to communicate in that some, some small measure. But Moses made it through. Understand, he made it through. And he led his people through. God, the Lord of history, used these circumstances for their deliverance and for his glory. And he's recorded it for our benefit. So let me ask you some questions. You can just think about these as I ask them. What happens when God uses a person for something bigger than they can imagine? What happens? What happens when God intensifies a, a situation so that it is well beyond our reach? What happens to a people when, they, when God steps into a situation and pronounces judgment? What happens to God's people when God pronounces judgment? If God puts ordinary Christians, if there is such a thing, you know, an ordinary person that's indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What? If God puts ordinary Christians, people like you and me, into crucible moments for some purpose, what's 
going to come from that? Can God do that? Yes, God can do that. Does God do that? Yes, absolutely God does that. All the time? Well, not necessarily. But he certainly does it. And are we okay with that? Here we go with these questions again. I can't answer that question for you. Are you okay with it? But I want to talk to you about the nature and the character of a God who would do such a thing. There's a major observation that we can make in our biblical story, and we can tend to fly right by it to our own detriment. But understand this, Israel doesn't get to, to sit back and watch all the fireworks in God's demonstration and display. That's not how it works. They themselves were part of the drama. They're in the dance. They are drawn in by God. Those pronouncements that were made, that wasn't just for Egypt. That whole thing about the blood on the doorposts, that is a very serious matter. And those who did not listen and obey lost their firstborn. That's serious. But the story of their deliverance, Israel's deliverance from slavery, from Egypt, wasn't exclusively about God setting them free. It was also about God dealing with those who spurned and defied him. Troubles, challenges, glory, hope, it's, it, it's all in one thing. And this is typical of God's acts of judgment, which is a surprise to most people, myself included. We hear the word judgment, and we immediately think of things like hellfire and fury. That's where our mind goes, and, we, and that's where our mind stops. But there's another side of judgment that I want to share with you. I need you to see this. And frankly, it's the only reason that we are here today. When Adam and Eve fell, God came and he pronounced judgment. They were expelled from the garden. But he also posted an angel to guard the way to the tree of life. And that's how he says it, to guard the way to the tree of life. God was protecting and preserving the path to the tree of life. This judgment that came still came in the context of God's prior pronouncements. God had commissioned Adam and Eve to fill the earth and to rule over it, and God never took his eyes off of the ends of the earth. His judgment was the framework in which that would still come to be worked out upon the earth. The commission was never lifted. His judgment was in the context of the promises that he had already made. In Noah's day, God saw every intention of man's heart and it was only evil continually. What a horrible pronouncement. So judgment came in the form of the great flood, which is a story of uh, horror of magnificence. I, I can't even express it. Horrific vengeance upon evil. 
But it's also a story of a people preserved right through the middle of that judgment. Where were God's people at that moment? They were at that tender junction between wrath and mercy. The same boat that Noah built, according to those plans that God gave him, was a vessel of deliverance for God's people, but it was also a testimony of condemnation to those who mocked. It was both. With Moses and the Israelites, we face this same kind of dynamic with that last plague, the plight of the firstborn, a horrifying terror to those who refused to listen to God, and yet, for the Israelites, to those who obeyed, a fearful testimony, yes, of the deliverance of all who obeyed. And so it continues, right down through history, even to our current day. It continues on to that one act of God which accomplished our redemption, that at the moment that Christ was on the cross, the full wrath of God was poured out and emptied upon his firstborn son. And yet that's our deliverance. Wrath and mercy together. And so friends, I need you to hear this. I want you to hear this clearly. The only safe place to be in the face of the judgment of God is in a secure place of God's own provision for you. Surely you cannot escape it. You cannot step aside the judgment of God. You need to be delivered through it. And if you trust him, you will find yourself rejoicing because you're going to see yourself protected in the hand of God and delivered by safe passage even through the wrath and judgment of God. This is what God has accomplished for us, past tense, in Jesus Christ. It is a statement, a promise already made in Christ. Everything we experience now is in the context of these things that I'm talking about. Maybe you need to do some business with the Lord. Now would be a good time to do it. If you're listening on the video, pause the video and meet with God. Let him deliver you through his wrath that he can shower upon you a mercy that is so tremendous and overcomes all sins. Only God can do that. Only God. I tell you, God does a lot of business this way. Following these patterns like I'm talking about. The ones I'm illustrating from Exodus. He does a lot of business that way. A lot of people have met the Lord when the Lord started upping the ante in crucible moments. And he's used God's people to help others along that way. God does a lot of business this way. It's a pattern that I see in Scripture and in my life that the Lord has used these things to forge something. Rahab, Rahab was a person that experienced something like this. One of these crucible moments. She's kind of seeing it from afar. It said she'd heard of the Israelites and how they were delivered from Egypt. She'd heard what God was doing with his people. She's not out there with them. Can you catch this? 
She's not there, but she's hearing of what God's doing in this crucible moment with his people and how he's leading them and guiding them and how they'd eaten the food of angels in the desert. She heard of those things and she feared God and God preserved her for her faith. God used the crucible moment of the Israelites in the desert to save this woman in a land far away that they weren't even at. How much more can God use us when we submit to his will in crucible moments to be used by the Lord, to somehow be tilling fallow ground where we're used like tools in the Lord's hands, and yet we might not even perceive all that's going on. It's time to draft the Lord. It's time to draw near to him so that we will be close as he is moving on in power. Rahab was saved the very first day that Israel went in and faced uh, people in the land of promise. But for Israel to be ready to enter that land, there was preparation that had to be done. God had to make his people ready. Like Moses. He had to make his people ready. And that's what I want to talk about next time.